Milk goes bad so fast. It's just so inefficient to have it in a vending machine. They'd have to I change have bought milk before that's time. like, this won't go bad for two weeks. And I never, ever use any milk without smelling it first because yeah. that's a fool's errand. Smell test is number one. I don't know about you guys, but I've smelt some pretty bad milk in my day. <laughs> well, remember, Gordy used to be a milk sniffer. That was like his job. So like... <laughs> Yep, this cow got into the onion patch. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, everyone, to S1E1, the show where each week we pick a different sitcom, watch this the first televised episode, and forgetting anything we might know about the future run of that show, Rate it and decide if it's a show we want to greenlight or cancel. This week we're going to be talking about Spin City. Spin City won 145 episodes over six seasons on ABC. They were talking about episode one, which was called Pilot, originally airing September 7th, 1996. To get things started, I'm Jay Gags. With me as always, the boys, Gordo, Ferg, Joe, and Nick. What's going on, guys? Hello. Yo. hey uh, Mr. Mayor, would you consider marching in the S1E1 Pride Parade? <laughs> drunk, drunk. There it is. Um, I had the line I thought for sure you're going to say. I'll, I'll mention it when we get to it later on. I know which one you want to do. I wanted to go a little off of what usually I'm expected to okay. do. Also, like we talk about, we finally did a show I've been waiting for for a long time. A show that shows exclusively an all-milk vending machine. I'm so happy. I had that, that in we my finally notes. made it to the all-milk vending machine episode. I missed that. Oh yeah, we'll we'll get to it in a, in a we'll bit. We'll get to it. It's literally. I paused it and slowly went through all of it, being like, "There's got to be something else in there." Nope, it's just every kind of milk, like small <laughs> school-sized milk cartons. Because I convinced myself it wasn't milk. Like I was looking, no, at it like, must be like it like opens and there's like goldfish or something like that. But like it <laughs> would be way better. Not for, not for me, you. But, yeah, not for me. <laughs> Spin City with Nick. Is this your pick? It is, yeah. All right, so what uh, what made you decide for us to do this one? Honestly, it was just one of those... Uh, well, actually, if you remember, I picked a show that ended up not being a sitcom at all, like even by our low standards. I forget Yo, what it Nick, was. Law and Order SVU is not going to work for our <laughs> it's like, I want to do Nip Tuck next. <laughs> yeah, no, there was a show that... Uh, oh, it was Righteous Gemstones. Yes. And f- and apparently that's not a sitcom. I've never seen it. I wanted to see it, so I figured maybe that'd be a good time to do it. But apparently it's not a sitcom. And then so I was just, you know, thinking of shows that we've discussed maybe and Spin City came to mind. And I really enjoyed the show back in the day a lot. So here we are. It's a good pick. Also, side note, watch Righteous Gemstones anyway. It is amazing, even for not being a sitcom. Oh, yeah. No, I, I plan on it. Just it wasn't a no yet. because of that, because we can stretch anything to be a sitcom. It was the episodes were longer than a half an hour. I think hour. they're long. Yeah, they're too, like 32 yeah. minutes That's long. It just was be well, like, maybe even longer than that. But yeah, in any event, actually, I wanted to bring this up. We don't usually do this, but I figured for the sake of a show like what we do, that'd be fun to bring up once in a while. What have you guys been watching? YouTube videos about medieval history. Any TV things that go inside with the show we do? The new reboot of Justified, Justified City Primeval, has been my favorite thing on TV right now. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, and I am so excited to see Timothy Oilyfant back on TV playing uh, Raylan Givens. <laughs> I just watched Twisted Metal, which is excellent. I want to watch that, actually. I forgot about that one. I mean, I've, I've brought it up on here a million times. I think, you know, the irony's not lost that I host a show about sitcoms and I watch virtually no television ever, but I actually had, like, a moment of time 
over the last week or so, and I I, wa- I finally watched the rest of Shorzy. So nice. that was great. Very good. And for those of you listening, we covered that show a while back. If you want to hear us cover episode one, go ahead and do Give me that. Give tug. I I finished season one of The Bear. So like, a show we can't cover here, but um, I, I was glad Fantastic I finally show, watched though. it. I can't believe you finished season one of The Bear and then you weren't like, and now I won't go to sleep. I will finish season two of The Bear because <laughs> yeah. that is one of the most addictive shows of all time. I watched, um, yeah, I watched episode one of season two so far, but yeah, time was not on my side. I had to wake up very early. Yeah, no, I just thought um, maybe every once in a while we should just, you know, talk about what we've been watching because that's you what, know what we I've do. been we do um, bedtime binging lately is I Love Lucy. Because there's oh, the 24-7 I Love Lucy channel on uh, Pluto TV. Pluto? Yeah. yeah. Who does that? She's hilarious. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. Roku has, like, uh, a bunch of interesting, weird channels like that, too. I just love a good show you don't need to see. You can hear and you still enjoy. See, I have sort of the opposite right now where our air conditioner is so loud. I have to watch things that I can yep. watch with subtitles on. Because to have the volume up loud enough to hear it would be just, like, house-shaking. So this past week, I've just watched uh, the movie The Fugitive in 20-minute increments as I fall asleep. And just, like, you know what you should do, Joe? Because I had this issue, too. I just got a speaker and hooked it up to the TV and, with, like, a long wire <laughs> and just put the speaker on the headboard instead of the TV Ooh. speaker across the room. So it doesn't – you don't have to blare the TV. You can just turn that speaker up a little bit, and you can hear it better. Or use, Bluetooth, use Bluetooth headphones. Yeah, they make Bluetooth headphones that you can plug into. That's your true TV. too. The Chromecast, the new Chromecast, can connect to Bluetooth, so you can connect it to your headphones or even another Bluetooth speaker. Actually, it's pretty convenient. And with that in mind, we will take sponsorship. Google, <laughs> if you want to hook us yeah, up, Roku, Google, Apple TV, yeah. maybe we'll throw or, some money. We'll take or it. headphones company. <laughs> so, um, and, and to reel it back in a little bit, as far as Spin City goes, for the rest of you, have you guys watched the show in the past? How familiar you are? Are you with the show? I've watched it, but I, I really don't remember a lot of it, to be honest. I used to watch it. I, uh, yeah, I, I remember a lot of it. That's me with a lot of these shows. My retention for like a lot of these shows is, is a lot worse than I thought. Like So many of these shows that we've covered that like I'm going back and watching. Like Remember the shows, remember watching tons of them, but storylines and specific things, all gone. How many seasons did this go, Jay? Six. Six seasons, 145 episodes. I think this one was kind of, I mean, it was a good show, but like, I think it was put on the map because this was the show that Michael J. Fox came out about the Parkinson's on. Parkinson, yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy to see, actually. It's really distracting after I watched the Michael J. Fox documentary. I've wanted to watch that. I know that just came out It's really good, but he's so good at hiding it. But if you pay attention to his left arm and hand... Yeah. Uh, like you can tell he's always trying to do something with that hand uh, to distract from the fact that he's got like these unwanted movements out of them. And I couldn't I couldn't stop watching it. And it's like every scene. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. He, he puts it in his pocket a lot to uh, to avoid you noticing. Yeah. If only Doc Brown told him the side effects of time travel. Oh, no, this is what he gets for having sex with his aunt in The Secret <laughs> of My Success. There's some sort of recessive gene that happened. He almost had sex with his mom in Back to the Future. Wait, wait a minute. I'm seeing a trend here. Yeah, there's kind of a weird uh, thing that happened there. <laughs> Look, I will say this. I think Michael J. Fox is the best. I think he's super charming in this uh, and in general. And this show, to me, we've talked before about, like, retail hour shows. And we always have, like, retail jobs where you're like, you've got work at noon and you're up at whatever hour and you watch, like, a half an hour of something. This, to me, was a, like, right after Yes, Dear. You watch, like, an episode of it. 
And sometimes you get a Michael J. Fox. Sometimes you get a Charlie Sheen. And I always like, this is funny. And now that we watched this, I was telling my wife about it. I was like, this was amazingly charming and fun. And I want to watch it so badly. And it's streaming nowhere. And the yeah. DVD box set is even unavailable. Where it's like, there's so many people in this. How is this not on something? This isn't like when I'm like, how come Chips isn't watchable? Or like Emergency or some show that like nobody my age would care about watching anymore who can use a digital TV. I've watched very little of the Charlie Sheen era of the show. I've seen I will some, say Charlie Sheen much. plays Michael J. Fox's character, from what I remember. He plays like more neurotic, more... From what I remember, he did a good job of filling yeah. the, the big shoes of Michael J. Fox at the time, so... Oh, so he played the same character? He wasn't just like someone new coming to the job? No, no, no. He just kind of didn't really come in as a different character. He just kind of picked up where Michael J. Fox oh, left okay. off. Yeah, it's like Michael J. Fox left that position, and then Charlie Sheen took it up, took it over. But like, basically, it was just doing a Michael J. Fox impression. Okay, and it was fun, and that's before everyone got like really weird about Charlie Sheen too. So we had like the thing where we're just like, oh, that's that guy I love from Hot Shots and Men at Work. So, like, it was we never didn't get weird know? about Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen got weird about everything. Yeah. No, no, no Charlie that... Sheen got weird about us. That's yeah. what I mean. I'm, I meant that. I'm sorry. Yeah. But like before you could see him and be like, Ooh. don't blame us. Before his starring turn in the movie, this is World all Trade wild Center, things fault, all right? I didn't fucking make the guy drink tiger blood. <laughs> Mountains of cocaine. Uh, Google says Spin City's on Paramount Plus, but I don't think that's actually true. I Do- looked and I just it just said that it, you can watch some of it on Pluto, Pluto, but not the whole thing. Joe, just experiment because then you, if it's not on there, you can just watch Bar Rescue. That's true. Be like, do you watch Spin City? Be like, no, but I know every one of Taffer's. Tips I really, now. I'm so interested to know where this story ends because Ferg wants <laughs> Paramount Plus so bad, but just won't. Give them the $4 a month to just sign up for it. <laughs> Look, I just canceled two the other day so I could get the ad-free version of uh, Peacock. And Ferg it's did the so same thing, it. too. And it's very much worth it. It's yeah. one of those things. Now, I notoriously blow money worse than anybody. But, like, I'll overthink something like that as well. Where it's like, oh, I should get it. And, like, ah, it's another subscription. It's another 5 bucks a month. But then I'll go to, like, 7-Eleven and buy, like, three Gatorades. And, yeah. you like, drop, like, 8 bucks, And you go, well, like, I could have just... You know, oh, yeah. got I had to re- I had to delete two different apps so I could afford the other one, but like I'll buy like a three hundred dollar record. Yeah, you don't think about it. it's just it's weird how you prioritize your money sometimes. Yeah, it's it's like you're cheap about the weirdest shit, and it's probably the stuff that you'll use more than half the shit. Like it's like I'll have a T-shirt in my shopping cart forever and then not buy it, and it's like oh I could have just spent the twenty five dollars. And then you mindlessly buy like a bag of beef jerky and it's eight bucks and you go, well, that's gone. Why is beef jerky so expensive? Beef jerky is very, I mean, it's, a, it's an though? animal. It's animal product. Yeah, it's, it's meat. Meat's expensive. Not like that, not that expensive. Jerky has always been expensive, even when meat wasn't ridiculously expensive like it is right now. The only jerky that was never expensive was Slim Jim, which leads you to wonder what the fuck are <laughs> in Slim Jim. <laughs> not meat, yeah. Not meat, because all I know is that I was told when I first got my gluten allergy, you can't have that because there's something in the quote-unquote filler you can't have. And I was like, I don't like that word filler. I don't like that I've been <laughs> housing these things since I was six years old, and how much of my body is made of filler now? I never liked Slim Jims. I did as a kid. I haven't had one. Now I want, like, actual beef jerky. It's always one of those things. I like the idea of a Slim Jim more than I actually like a Slim Jim, because you'll be in the convenience store, and you'll see one, you go, ooh, and you get one, and you're like, ew. <laughs> like, why see, I'm always the opposite. Too. I've always hated real beef jerky, but I always love Slim Jims. Wrong with you. One of those, like, 50-cent Slim Joe Jims, and one of those 50-cent Cabot... Yeah, I'm a pepperoni guy. So, and they're very similar. I got a pepperoni pizza the other day that, like, 
I must have tipped really well the time before or something. I had a pepperoni extra cheese pizza where like it literally looked like slime with eyeballs. There was so much cheese that it was like mm. overflowing the pizza that their pepperonis just like curling up because they put so many on. And I was so fucking happy. I was like, this is the greatest <laughs> day of my absolute life. As far as Spin City goes, I was looking up Rotten Tomatoes, 69% um, yeah. for critics. No audience score. That happens a lot with some of the uh, older shows. IMDb uh, average rating for this series, 7.3. Not bad. Kind of like that middle range show. Not like iconic top tier, but it's kind of yeah. where it falls, you know, all these years later. Nearly 30 years later from when the show came out. It's not, you know. I will say generationally, though, this came out when we would have been all 10 or 11 years old. And even though we all had huge love for Michael J. Fox, I totally get not watching this show, our generation, because we're like, yeah. oh, it's like a political, dry, political. Yeah. I don't want to watch this. Yeah. But then watching it now, I'm like, oh, man, I wish I had like thought of that because it went through us being in high school and everything. I probably would have enjoyed it a ton then and it have a much more fond memory of it. It's funny how similar this show was is to Pox and Rec only. It's not like documentary sitcom style. style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Looking back now, you can see you could definitely draw those comparisons. I think both both have a very big walk and talk. Like this whole episode is pretty much 50 percent, maybe more, 75 percent walk and talks, which I think really works well. It moves quick. They're always moving. You never feel like you're stuck. Even the one scene where they're in a static room, there's like flips going on. So you're like, oh, man, <laughs> there's like never stopping in this. Another thing, too, is so we a couple weeks back did Growing Pains. And like Nick, you would mistakenly like we say like we we kind of confuse that in family ties all the time. Family still, ties yeah. is with with Michael J. Fox, so yep. that's definitely one of those shows that we will a thousand Same creator cover too. it one day. Yeah, is it? Yeah. So there's two creators of this show. The one oh, who this does show. Oh, this show. Okay. Yeah, there's two creators of this show. Same one of them is the same creator of this and Family Ties. Uh, the whole sit ubu sit. Yeah, I did oh, read okay. that yeah. in Michael J. Fox's final episode of Spin City. They brought in like both the people that played his parents to like have roles in the show for spin city. That's another one of those shows we talk about. That would be very interesting to watch now in like this political climate and this sort of 40 years later where he's like a Reagan Republican be really interesting to watch. You know, I completely forgot. um, Heather Locklear wasn't in the beginning of this show. She, I remember her very well. She comes in with Charlie Sheen, right? No, no. She comes in like the third season, I think. Yeah, because I want to say the love interest that we meet in this episode lasts like the a couple worst. seasons. Yeah. The worst? Are you saying that Becca from fucking Son-in-Law is the worst? Because yes, how goddamn dare you? You just hate her because of Entourage. I was going to say, I know you guys all love her from Entourage. And she's no, a ton I, just, of stuff. I hate her from Entourage. <laughs> yeah, she sucks in Entourage. We'll, we'll talk about her. But I just like that any week comes up and I keep throwing it into the ether. Father-in-law 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 <laughs> which she would be co-starring in carlo Gino, if you're hearing me reach out to us spec script coming soon don't reach out to me i'll give you a big middle finger <laughs> <laughs> well i will not me and the weasel will write this script and if you'd like to reach out to us you can go to s1e1pod.com that's where you can find all the links to our social medias s1e1 s1e1pod on instagram and x 
Uh, don't love that. Do not love that. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you're messaging us on Instagram, only Ferg can read it. So, we don't know why, but our messages are not working. Yeah, we're, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties lately. Messages are just disappearing from all our phones. Um, don't worry, I'll answer you. Oh yeah, only, only Ferg survived like the Thanos snap as of right now. So you'll you'll be hearing from him exclusively for the time being. That's good. Though. If you get like ignored or a terrible message, you'll know exactly who to blame. So. In the meantime, to go back to this weird X thing, and we really need to start talking about the show soon. I don't want the episode to be too long. We started the show. <laughs> 22 minutes and 44 seconds, boys. Well, we record before we start. But anyways, as far as X goes. X going to give it to you. It, so it's not Twitter anymore. So it's, it's no longer a tweet. So I noticed today for the first time, because Gordo does our Twitter, I, I always retweet. But now it says, re, what is it? repost instead of retweet so i was, uh, was going to ask so it's not a retweet anymore i don't like that one bit <laughs> it's dumb and i'll say this where instagram had just come out with threads i think the one thing that made twitter like that made threads not really take off is the familiarity with twitter and we've had it for so long so when right when your competitor is putting out this similar product and you change everything that's like the security blanket that we already knew of the one we already had now it's like well well, I guess now I could just jump because this isn't even Twitter anymore. There's some weird other thing. Berg, there's a question for you because you watch week to week. Has Michael Cole said, number one trending topic on X? Because I really <laughs> want him to say that so badly. I haven't noticed. Because I know that people are like, there was a, I was reading an article a couple of days ago where they were talking about how like it's happening, right? Like all these big brands that have to post the logos of everything they're doing are like posting the X because it's new. So I would imagine WWE who loves mentioning Twitter, right? Cause their huge thing is constantly being like, we are the number one trend on Twitter. I want to know what they're going to say. Are they going to say we're the number one trend on I think X? Even or... when like there was still Twitter, they would just, they would just, they would just be like, Oh, trending number one across the United States without, you know, the shout out to Twitter. But let's talk about spin city. <laughs> we're going to get into this episode. Let's do it. We start off and it's like, Michael's walking down like a busy hallway and it's like, the office so they all work in the mayor's office there's like all these moving parts going on as he's walking and the camera's moving along with them and this is kind of we see a lot of this throughout the episode it's not a lot of static three camera style regular sitcom at all times it's a real hybrid where they're kind of doing both things a lot he's like being handed papers and things like that and eventually lands into the mayor's office we kind of starts up a meeting with everybody inside and in this meeting we find out basically that there's a sanitation workers strike going on with their union. It's creating all this chaos and they're trying to find a way to talk to the public about it through the mayor's office in a way that's not going to create like this giant uproar. The plot of Joker. <laughs> this is, oh, there's always been garbage strikes in New York, right? Like it's like a very famous thing. And also like, I want to say the first time I ever went to New York is maybe 2002 or 2003. But there's a line in a minute where they're like, New York has the most trash of any city or whatever. You're like, New York is always filled with trash. Everyone here has been to New yeah. York City, right? Like, it doesn't matter what day, it's what time, gross, whatever. Yeah. There is garbage fucking everywhere. And you're always. talking like right in the middle of like Manhattan, like the touristy spots, like where you think there'd be like extra emphasis on cleaning it. And that's why, though, it's all tourists. But it's mountains of trash barrels, just mountains of yep. them, <laughs> like unattended to. It's the worst, too, especially because, like, when you first start going to New York, right, you're going in the summertime because it's warm out and you're not in school. And the smell of hot garbage that would just facilitate through uh, lower Manhattan was nightmarish. And I'm sure it's still the same. I don't go to New York anymore, but imagine it doesn't change that much. You trade in that hot garbage for moose shit. 
That's true. <laughs> I just don't ever want to be on a Fungwa bus ever again. I mean, RIP. I don't fair. think you can be, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. Well, I luckily made it through about 50 of those trips and didn't die, so I guess it's a win. They're going over like this whole strike situation and like they say it could it could last days or but even as, as long as months. And that's when Paul pops in the doorway and says, you know, he needs something to tell the press. And Mike's just like, oh, tell him the strike's over. And he's like, it's over? Like, it's finished? He's like, yeah. And then, like, he leaves. And I like the way it worked because everyone's about to start talking again. And Mike just kind of gives that, like, one finger up to everybody to say, hold on a second. Here it comes. And then you get Paul walk right back in and be like, you're not lying to me, are you? Paul being um, Richard Kind. who Richard Kind, baby. I love Richard Kind. We've talked about him before on the show, yeah. Everybody had to have popped for Richard Kind. One of these. Oh, funniest... everybody but Gordo. <laughs> no idea who he was. Gordo, who recognizes nobody. <laughs> he was in the first episode of Mad About You. Curb enthusiasm. He's the dad in Clifford. He's like, Daddy's gonna have a stroke. The big red dog. No. no. I quit life with you. I don't even know you not knowing Richard Kind is hurts. You not knowing Clifford the movie hurts too much. We've than I literally done a show with Richard Kind. And you don't, the fact that you don't know who Alan Ruck is is surprising. Yeah, also, Alan Ruck, we'll get there, but yeah. We'll get there. You we'll Alan tell you. fuck. You ha- and if you don't know the main thing I think we're all going to know him from, I'll be shocked. Yeah. No, I won't. But well, no, I won't be shocked. Anybody else <laughs> yeah. but Gordo, but still. Paul leaves for a second time, and now they're, you know, they're talking some more. Mike's saying, well, that should buy us a couple hours at least. And he also tells everyone, like, hey, guys, by the way, you know the rules. Anytime, any- <laughs> anytime someone tells Paul the truth, you got to put $10 in the kitty. And he has this, like, large jar that, you know, is full of dollar bills. It's full of $10 bills, so it looks yeah, like probably a couple hundred a bucks kitty. in there. Also, I did the inflation calculator on this. 20 bucks, or $10 then is now 1949 now. It's very sad, because it wasn't that long ago in the big yeah, side that's Yeah, that threw me off, where I was like, that wasn't that long ago for it to almost exactly double. Do you see, like, a dollar swear jar? It's surprising that it's a $10 jar. Yeah. I kind of like it, though, because they're, like, government employees working in the mayor's office. They have the money. You know, it's not like it's people working in a retail shop. Talking about this episode specifically, and and I'll tell you, I'm not totally sure because I don't really remember a lot of the future of the show anyways. I didn't think they did a great job as far as I don't understand the dynamic between Paul and Mike. I don't know who – I don't know the hierarchy there. I think you're just supposed to understand that he's, like, the press secretary. Yeah. And they, they explain what Mike's job is when he meets right. Stuart. But I kind of feel like they're, as far as, like, the pecking order are somewhat equal. Like, I don't feel like one's really on top of the other one. Isn't Michael J. Fox the vice mayor? Essentially, yeah. yes. But his Definitely, dynamic yeah. with Paul never really seems like he's Paul's boss. Because Paul will be quick to run in and be like, hey, I need this. Yeah, that this. is weird. They should be, there should be, like, he should be his boss, but they don't act like it. Yeah, I don't get yeah. it. I mean, one thing to say, too, about this episode is they throw a lot of characters at you Yeah. Yep. for a pilot episode. You get thrown into a world of, like, 20 people. It's more than your usual sitcom pilot. And we, t- we talk about this a lot, how these ensemble casts, like, some shows do it well, some some don't, obviously. I don't think this show does it very well. This is a lot like... So, yeah, we're going to meet a lot of characters as we go along, but I guess as far as that stuff goes... I always draw the comparison to news radio because I felt like all the shows we've done did it the worst. That was the one that like just rifled people at you. And I feel like they kind of did it the same here, but it didn't bother me as much. And I'll be honest with you. I mix this show up with news radio all the time. I mixed it up with that David Spade show. Just Just shoot me. me? Yeah. I mean, there were three shows in New York in the 90s that primarily take place in an office building. So it makes sense. Yeah. Different, but same. And 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, there's a lot of characters here, but a good chunk of them don't have much going on story-wise, so you didn't have to... You, you're aware of their existence, but you didn't really have to follow along with them too much, so it was fine. Most of these people only said, like, a line or two. Yeah, they were mostly background characters in this. Right, and I, I assume later on you'll learn more what their jobs are. Yeah, so it's kind of like yeah. they're here, but you're going to get to know them, where I feel like news radio tried putting a lot of stuff for each character in a short amount of time. Yeah. And it didn't, like, fully develop anything. Like, you were just kind of, like, you were lost a lot of the episode. Yeah, Dude's Radio's like, this guy's tough. This girl's quirky. Go, 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 go. Whereas this one, it's more like, hey, these people work together. You're not going to get too much from everybody at once, which is a better way to do it, I think. Yeah. I think to go back with what you mentioned before with the power dynamic, I think, yes, he is his boss, but if he knows they're not telling the truth, he won't say it, and they want him to say it. Right. Uh, calm everyone down. I think that's what it is. Just the deniability. And we have, um, right around this point is when the mayor pops in. It's it's one of those, Through the he wall. comes up. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. <laughs> it was, it, yeah, what did it look like a conventional door that he went through? It was like one of those Oval Office in the wall doors. Yeah. Well, at first I thought he was the president. This does feel like West Wing to a good degree. I will say that. Like, this made me think of West Wing a few different times. They don't really give a good description of where they work you just kind of know that they work in politics at this point before the mayor walks in and then he walks in through that weird wall door so i thought he was the president because there's the american flag on the wall that looks historical yeah i mean they address him fairly quick but yeah it takes until they call him mr mayor though till you pretty get it yeah and this is barry bostwick another huge Gordo, uh, you probably don't remember him from anything good like Spy Hard or Rocky Horror Picture Show, but you may remember him from the Pepsi Twist commercial where the guy pulls off his face and goes, Barry Bostwick, because that seems like something that you would weirdly remember. <laughs> I was going to say Rocky Pepsi Horror. Twist, guys? I mean, He's I've seen the... Rocky Horror like once. He's the main guy in Rocky Horror, the couple who I shows up. that was up. Tim Curry. He's Dr. Frank, the couple who shows up at the house, Brad and Janet. Damn it, Janet. I love, I love you. you. I've only seen that like once when I was like a kid. You know, the proper age to see it. I could not tell you a damn thing about it. Maybe we'll all go to a live show one day and catch it. It's a shame. It did for years and years and years play at midnight at the theater in Harvard Square. And I worked in Harvard for a million years and worked late nights on Saturdays. You'd walk out and everyone be out there dressed up, like getting ready to go in. And then they closed that theater down. And then Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, I think, were supposed to buy it. And then it didn't happen and now it's still just nothing like 10 years later when you meet the mayor he seems very like aloof he seems like almost like he's like this a figurehead but you know the real cogs of the operation are all these people that you're seeing working throughout the office and we haven't mentioned it in detail but like michael j fox right we haven't like everybody knows who michael you know who michael j fox is right <laughs> of course of course From what back to the future okay <laughs> what i just, be sure of that. <laughs> yeah. I just said teen wolf Back to the Future. Team Wolf with a movie that I love so much that has one of the weirdest lines in movie history that I cannot say on this podcast. I thought you were going to say you love it because of the dong at the end. <laughs> Is there a dong at the end of Team Wolf? You don't know that story? No. So the scene when, when he makes the final basket and the crowd all stand up and cheer, one of the people in the audience has their pants down and there's a full-on <laughs> dick in the movie and they didn't notice it. It got released. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, I'll be watching Teen Wolf again this week on Blu-ray, as clear and digital as I can find. Oh, I bet. I bet on any remastered version, they they digitize that. Dick yeah, that's right gonna be there. like a VHS, and then uh, probably looks like a Ken doll. This got to be a screenshot. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm looking now. 
<laughs> you guys never heard that story before? No. I had in the past, but I forgot about it. And I love Teen Wolf. I don't love Teen Wolf 2, though. The intro to the show, um, like, we don't have, like, a theme or anything. It's basically oh. just this, like, CGI manhole cover spinning, and, like, it lands on, like, some bricks, and just the name of the show is in the manhole cover. It was fine. I mean, this seems like a show that could have had, like, a full-on sitcom intro, but I think this works just as well. No, this is at the time when they were starting to get away from that. Like, if you think about news radio and other shows of like that, they were just kind of, like, shortened theme songs. Yeah. It's like a stinger just get into the show, which I've always said I appreciated. But it's not... It's an extended stinger, because then you get... It does like more modern shows that are just like boom next. This era of TV loved um, pi- piano music. I feel like yeah, a this gives of... you a little jaunty jazz tune at least. It kind of reminded me of the PJs. The intro I remember the PJs. It's a great the show. PJs, no, the, 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 the living in a homemade bungalow, like the thing with the. Um... <laughs> Uh, also, maybe uh, look up how much does one of those cost? It's like five hundred dollars to buy a manhole cover. Well, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like a lot of steel or whatever. Yeah, it's I don't just know they're it's, worth yeah. their weight in metal. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. They cost, they're about 250 pounds. However, a lot of places have, I've, I spent a long time today in between work calls going through the sort of history and where we're at now with manhole covers. A lot of places are using plastic ones because they're much cheaper to manufacture. But the problem that a lot of places have had is like an 18-wheeler drives over one and then it pops the tire out and like crashes the car. So like, yeah, there was a reason they were made out of what yeah, they were they're made, made out of. Yeah, they're made for their strength. That so, must scare uh, the shit out of me. That's a splinter. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to hear a fun fact about manhole covers? No. In Boston, they, the, they use melted down uh, confiscated guns from criminals to make our hmm. manhole covers. Oh. Interesting. I'm glad to know that. I thought you were going to go with a Gordo joke. So. No, that's actually a fun fact. That's like something that Boston's always done is they've any gun that they confiscate from a criminal, they melt down and they use to make sewer cupboards. I remember one day, maybe like 10 years ago, my wife called me and she was like, I'm heading home from work. And I was like, why? It's like 11 a.m. And she was like, because all the manhole covers in our street exploded because of <laughs> some sort of like crazy gas thing. So they're sending us home. And I was like, you're not going in the subway, are you? Because I'm sure that's where the explosion started, like underground. So to think of like a 500 or 250 pound thing getting shot up in the air because it's a big explosion. Like, man, that's they terrifying. actually say that that is one of the only things that may have accidentally ever entered space from Earth. They did some weird underground test of an explosion or something like that and forgot that there was like a conduit that led to a manhole cover. And there's a video of it. And they say this thing left the ground at like light speed and may have actually left the earth because of the uh, speed it left the ground at. Jesus. That's amazing. That makes me think of the time that we bought a bunch of very high-grade uh, fireworks. We put them under one of those 55-gallon drum steel uh, gas tanks in a baseball field and lit them off, and it shot like 30 feet in the air, and everyone just went, oh, and then <laughs> ran as fast as we possibly could away. The next scene, we see Mike walking through the building again, and he's stopped by people like along the way, like his secretary and stuff, and you see... um. I don't know. In this point, I think it's it's most apparent that like he really is like the main guy in this office. Yeah, he's like the mover and shaker. Everything goes through him, basically. He eventually kind of lands over at the desk of this girl, Karen, and she's like this very super bubbly girl. 
And he's telling her that she has to get on the phone with the head of the sanitation workers union, but how, you know, he's like kind of a tough guy. So she can't be as cheerful as she normally is. And says that, you know, she needs to tap into her darker side, that angry corner of her soul where violence reigns and terror cracks the whip. And she goes, okie dokie. I do love the okie dokie. I guess she's like the intern of the office. Yeah, I wasn't sure what her role is. I mean, that's the thing. Like, a lot of people, like I said, you'll get a line or two out of in this show, but we're not meeting all the characters in full. You're just kind of getting that little taste. I'm just ju- I'm judging because she looks so young that she would be an intern. Yeah, she does look younger that. than everybody else, yeah. I mean, you don't really learn a lot of people's jobs in this. No, no. We just kind of know they're all part of it, and, I'm, and you, they'll hash it out, you know, as the show goes on. Because uh, next we land at Nikki's desk. And she's on the phone when Mike walks up to her and you hear her saying like on the phone, like, oh, it's just a run of the mill orgasm. I didn't mean to scare you. And then as he walks up, she's like, oh, can you hold on for a second, mom? And they're going over like some numbers and stuff like that. And basically she's telling them that like they're they're nowhere near like the sanitation department and the office, like this contract, they're, they're not like even close to reconciling yet. And asking where she's from, Ferg, you'll appreciate this. The actress, uh, Connie Britton. She's in that terrible remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street where they make Freddy Krueger look like a turtle. I don't want to talk about that. I know you don't, <laughs> but just so you know, she's in it. We saw that in the theaters, and I remember, I mean, we were younger, right? I forget, I forget what year it came out, but I'm assuming it was, it was probably, a long like, time ago. probably like around 2010 or so, somewhere in that realm. Around that range. Yeah. And I can only gauge that by the fact that I know that I showed up to that movie with like warm Four Locos in my pocket <laughs> to drink at the theater. Ew. What an awful thing to drink at a movie theater. Those are gross, man. Uh, they were gross. Hey, they, they did the job. Yeah, they worked, though. Yeah, They were poison. They were basically like the punch they drank at Jonestown. They were fruit punch flavored, and they were poison. It was, um, you know, just a different time of our lives. <laughs> I remember that movie, though, watching it being like, Freddy Krueger looks like a pizza turtle. I hate this. Like, in the movie theater, drunk, being like, why am I have to watch all of this now? And I've blocked out most of it from my memory. So bad. Just to cut it back, so back in the episode, now Mike's going to leave Nikki's desk, and he's like, all right, well, um, I'm going to head off now, and then goes, I'll let you get back to your mom before she loses her erection, and I thought that was going to be Joe's start of the episode line. I have it written. <laughs> I always show you guys how insane my notes are, but you can see the, the circles are all my quote options. Yeah. But yeah, that was one. There's a, there's a lot of funny quotes in this. I don't want to go too sexual, because this show is oddly sexual. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. More than I thought, yeah. I'm sorry, since when do you not want to go too sexual with something? That's a good point. I don't know how to respond to that <laughs> right now. Noted. Wait a minute. Hold on. Come, 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 come. Okay, I feel better now. We're, we're good. I'm back. We get to the press conference where Paul's addressing the media, and he's, like, final, uh, finishing up, like, whatever he's saying, and he's asking if anyone has any questions. And there's one reporter whose name is Ashley who raises her hand. And Paul's trying to avoid addressing her at all costs. He's like, uh, anyone, any questions, anyone at all, anyone? And like trying to avoid it. She's the only one with her hand up. And then finally asks. She's just kind of questioning the validity that everything might be done by tomorrow. And mentions that she spoke to Mr. Sabatino about 15 minutes ago, who's the head of the union. And he said, um, this thing's not ending anytime soon. And he's like, ah, uh, no, it's not good, no. We get to a little bit later in the hallway after this press conference is over. And we see this girl, Ashley, standing there. When Mike walks up to her, this is in front of the milk vending machine. All milk, <laughs> all the time, baby. And it says ice yeah. cold on it. I didn't see any chocolate milk. 
Um, well, it was cut off a little bit, so there might have been, uh, I think we only saw three milks. There could have been uh, more milk over to the left of the machine where it gets cut off a little bit. Yeah, there was a blue, which I think it was usually skim, or a red that's yeah. whole, that's what he gets. Yeah. And then maybe a yellow, which is like 1 or 2% usually. Usually 1, and then like green sometimes is a 2%. Depends on the brand. I usually go 2% these days for cooking. Yeah, I think we've talked about it before. I grew up in a 2% house. I'm a whole milk man. Whole milk is disgusting to me. Whole milk is like eating pudding. It's so strong. It's so thick. Right, that's a little extreme. <laughs> yeah, it's not at all. It's bad. That's where you get the most robustness. That's true milk. Whole milk. You guys are only drinking part of it. If you want true whole milk, you want unpasteurized, uncooled, straight straight from the teat, Gordo. You give me a, no. you drink a glass of that, you'll yeah. get me. No. There's been plenty of times where I was drinking a glass of milk. I was like, this is not robust enough. <laughs> No, it one percent non-fat just tastes a little watered down to me. But they we've had this conversation. No, they are. But I like them in things. Like when I get hot coffee, like I drink my iced coffee black. But my hot coffee, I put a splash of non-fat milk in because it just cuts the acid down. If I'm making mac and cheese, I use two percent milk. But you can eat mac and cheese. Make mac and cheese. So you just make it. You don't eat it. <laughs> he just makes a bowl of it. And throws it away. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say when I eat mac and cheese, I use two percent milk because it would sound like I'm eating mac and cheese and drinking a glass of milk. <laughs> well, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's so quirky of you, Joe. Oh, Joe's so you, quirky. Man. So, uh, yeah, this uh, milk vending machine. I'm just trying to imagine where this sh- this would be actually needed in life because this is obviously a real thing. Schools? You don't even get it from the vending machine. No, you go up to the counter and you grab your milk at schools. They didn't have right, but in schools there was no. If you made it so they were free, right? Like you can you can make a vending machine have to not take money. If you have them at schools for when kids get their milk, it keeps them refrigerated in there. It's a way to do it. Or they could just put them on the cooler refrigerators. Depends on the age of kids, though. Sometimes you don't want to have kids opening doors up and slamming their fingers. They wouldn't go to vending machines then. You hit a button, it comes down. I just find the existence of this to be very strange. This milk goes bad so fast. It's just so inefficient to have it in a vending machine. They'd have to I change have bought milk before that's time. like, this won't go bad for two weeks. And I never, ever use any milk without smelling it first because yeah. that's a fool's errand. Smell test is number one. Yeah. And you open a thing of milk. It's like brand new, good for two weeks. And you smell it and you go, that is sour. Like milk is that. The counter, dicey. though, is there are times where your milk could say that it the sell by date was a week ago and still smell fine. Yeah. To me, if it smells fine, it's good to go. The other thing, too, is I don't know about you guys, but I've smelt some pretty bad milk in my day. <laughs> well, remember, Gordon used to be a milk sniffer. That was like his job. So, like. <laughs> yep, this cow got into the onion patch. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon, your OnlyFans keeps getting weirder and weirder. True, true. Uh, no, but what I was going to say was that. I smelled curdled milk before in the past, and now I can't smell milk without thinking that it's curdled. Like, it's like forever fucked my nose, which is another, you know, part of my OnlyFans that you can... Are you saying you, are you, are you, saying you can't do the smell test now because every milk you smell, you, Correct. you go back to that? Okay. Correct. That sucks. My mom, when my mom was a kid, she had, like, bad milk was in something, and to this day, she doesn't, like, consume milk in anything. Oh, I'll I'll consume it, but like also too the ring around the milk too. You can get little milk flakes on it. Oh, the that crust will make it. Yeah, milk crust, and then that can also make the smell and influence your smell. I don't like that because the crust isn't necessarily bad, but it can happen right away. If you get to pour some in something like a coffee, but the crust doesn't sink, and you're like, "Well, I'm gonna pour this whole cup of coffee now. I have to start over again." 
No, you got man up. I will not man up and drink milk crust. crust. I just won't do it. Milk? Or is that like the glue that like, oh, whatever is on the pack? No, it's milk. I think it's dried milk. It's hard to gauge. I don't know. Either way, probably don't drink it. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's like pudding skin. Not good. Yeah. So now Mike and Ashley are, uh, they're talking. And he's saying like, what are you beating up on Paul for? She's like, I don't blame Paul. I know who has his, uh, his hand inside the puppet. And she's asking him, like, why can't you just be honest with everyone and saying, like, hey, there's a strike. There's no progress yet. Like, you know, and we're working on it. And he's telling her, because the second I do that, you're going to make it out to be the mayor's fault. And she's like, so it's not the mayor's fault? So I'm just going to write a story that says, garbage unreasonable, refuses to be taken away. And then they start kind of doing, like, a walk and talk, like, as is this episode all the time. And when they can, you know, the conversation's concluding, you find out that these two are dating because it ends with like, all right, see you tonight, my place. Yeah. And that whole thing goes on. That would never be allowed. He's a member of the press and he works for the government. That's extreme conflict of interest. I don't think it is actually. It's definitely a conflict of interest because he can send stuff to her ahead of other news places. She can get the scoop. She can influence the government. It's they they could not. No, do I that. get it. I just don't think it's technically a conflict of interest. It's probably not like illegal, but I would assume in most cases, like the it's like an ethics issue, the mayor, like the office would would not want that going on and like kind of self discipline that. But Michael J. Fox is so charming. They're just like, okay, bud. And like, yeah, he might be so like invaluable to that like operation that they're like, all right, well, whatever. I would say there's like a huge if there's if there's some kind of huge scandal and they're dating, he could have her write about it like in a good way. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I think that's why it's important to see that she doesn't. There's like no like weird nepotism there, and she's like the first to jump up and jump down their throat because you could even see Paul didn't want to answer her question. Because he knows that she's just going to come after him. So I think as long as they maintain that where she's not easy on them, then it kind of, it, it'll turn a blind eye to any any link between the two. So do you think that because Michael J. Fox is the deputy mayor, do you think that that's a elected position and therefore those types of scrutinies doesn't apply to him? You know, I didn't look up. I don't, I didn't realize, I don't know if a deputy mayor is an elected position or not. I don't think I, they I are. imagine so. I assumed that they weren't. That was like how my brain perceived it. Well, no, I mean, if you have a, well, because, all right, so if you have a mayor and then like a vice mayor, I assume that's what a deputy mayor is. I'd assume that both of them are elected and then the rest of them are appointed. I'd assume he's appointed by the mayor. The deputy mayor is an elective or appointed office of the second ranking official that is present in many, but not all local governments. So I guess it could go. It, it could, could be either be, or. So making it so we have no definitive answer here. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Google. Thank you for being no help at all. <laughs> yeah, so the two of them are talking and eventually, like, split up after they confirm their plans for tonight. And he heads back into that, like, main office. I don't know how to describe it. This place is a very weird floor plan. Yeah, there's, like, a conference There's, like, a the room where you do the press conferences, like, the conference room, I guess. And then there's, like, the main hub. And then the office of the mayor is to the side of it. And it's like, but like where all the like other people that aren't the mayor have their offices and desks, it's like just all open floor space, like right in the middle of where everybody walks around. Like it feels like it should be a side, like a separate room that's walled off. It sort of looks like in an 80s movie when they're in New York at the Stock Exchange and there's people just like milling about in a room doing crazy shit. Yeah, soy, 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 soy. <laughs> and we meet a couple of characters here. We see um, James and Stuart. Stuart we talked about earlier. Now Gordo. Oh boy. So Stuart... Is played by Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck, you should know because he's in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 
Abe Froman. He's Cameron. Cameron from. He's the number Cameron two Fry. in that movie. Yeah, he's well, the friend. Well, wait, wait, wait. Have you seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off? No. I have. I have. A uh, long time ago. No, no, no. Long time ago. It's okay. He's also in Succession, which I just finished watching. That's an excellent show. He's also the funniest part of Speed. <laughs> he's the guy in the bus, and they're like, we're taking the bus back to the airport. And he's like, I already seen the airport, which I laugh at every time <laughs> I watch uh, okay, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Twister. He's in okay. Twister. He's in a great episode of Justified from the original Justified season, where he plays a dentist. Oh. Bring it all back home here. By the name of Crentist. <laughs> <laughs> Sitcoms have broken our brains. So they're all talking. It's all about how the mayor's prepared to speak because the guy James had like prepped them and gave him like all these replies to any type of comments he might be getting from the press as he's walking around. One thing I do want to bring up real quick though, is there's a really interesting uh, historical touch point here that you didn't mention where when they meet Stuart, he's like, Oh good. You read a manifesto. So we're in the year where the Unabomber's manifesto had come out where like that word had been like culturally popularized everybody and they're making jokes about it everywhere it's like oh my manifesto my manifesto is big sitcom fodder it's called industrial society and its future well i read it i read it at the time i literally had a book that was a unabomber book and then industrial society and its future was like the last two when we were 10 when we were 10 we were in fifth no we were in fifth grade so it was 96 11 yes that makes sense fifth grade and then i got sent to the um Guidance counselor, because I was reading the Unabomber book in school and had to have like a really weird conversation. And I hadn't thought of it for years. And then Uncle Ted Unabomber died like, I don't know, two months ago. And I had thought about it and pulled the book out because I still have it and was like, oh, yeah, I got sent to the fucking guidance counselor for reading this book in fifth grade. The hell is wrong with you? Yeah, I was going to say fair. That's a fair thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. I turned out fine. Did you? Okay. Mm, You turned out. You sure about that? Hey, you're alive. Hey, 37, and I haven't blown myself up in a shack making a bomb yet, so that's a good thing. You didn't kill anyone. Yeah. I guess that's good. I'm a very nonviolent person. So we see James standing under the television that's in this office area, and they're watching the mayor as he heads outside and is being, like, you know, bombarded by press. And every time a question's asked, you see James answering it before the mayor does to kind of confirm that it's like, Everything James had pre-wrote for him is like just the mayor's kind of going off script here or on script. And so everything's going pretty smooth. And he turns to Mike. He's like, see, like, there's your sound bite. Like, everything's great. We're golden. And you start to see Mike walking away from the TV, but the TV's still on in the background. And then you just hear one more reporter go, Mr. Mayor, would you consider marching the gay pride parade this week? And he goes, what are you, drunk? (laughs) (laughs) What an amazing insult. Mike's face. Mike's face, like, just, you just see, like, everything leave his body and the shock in his face. <laughs> and they hold on it for a while, and I really like it. was like so well acted. Because remember that, too, he's like, we get our sound bite. He says we've got our sound bite right before he says, what are you drunk? This, too, we always have to track these in episodes. The crowd loses their fucking mind yeah, when do. he says that yeah. line. Like, the crowd, like, the live audience loses it. It's worth going back again and listening to because it, like gives life to the scene so much more because people are like cackling at his uh, read of it. It's so fun. Hey, it took people's minds off the strike. <laughs> the right. Sneaky right. garbage everywhere. And that's what happens. And so now as soon as he hears it, Mike's like, okay, well, this is how we react in this office. So he's like, okay, well, we heard it. It's been said like, now what? That's when Stuart says like, you know, like if we had one gay person on the staff, this whole thing would go away. <laughs> and then he's like, everyone stop. I need a gay person. <laughs> and he's just trying to look around 
Like, who in this room's gay? And there's this weird thing where, like, you just see Karen's all this smiles. Would not fly today. And he's like, not that kind of gay. <laughs> to Nick's point, this would not fly today. Well, there's, yeah, there's a little bit like, it wasn't that bad, but there's little things that were a little like, eh, wouldn't quite fly now. Like, when he's asking, like, no one even had like a little gay fling and he did like a little like skippy move when he did it. Like, that probably wouldn't have gone. But other than that, I don't think they went too. No one went to line. camp. <laughs> no one went when to camp. Ni- when Nikki says, though, there go all our uh, show tickets, that is a line that you couldn't yeah. do now. Yeah. That was very 1996. And then this is when he looks over at James. And decides that James is going to be the new gay member of this office, despite in real life not being. That could have been the sitcom right there. Just this guy having to pretend he's yeah. gay for the rest of the show. That would be. That, yeah, that, yeah that, that would be a, like something that could work. You see Paul storming down the hall into the office area. He's like, all right, people, I assume you all have television. I'd like to get a jump start on this new problem. This is when Mike's like, oh, we're all set. Uh, you know, we have someone in the administration who's a prominent gay person. He's like, who? He's like, James. Oh, oh yeah. And he leaves. It's like, he knows James. He should know that James isn't gay. I love that he's just so aloof. Now in that next scene, we see Mike and Ashley and they're in bed and Ashley turns the TV off and like gets on top of him. And he's like, all right, it's 11 o'clock. The work day's over. And Mike's still on the phone. He's just like, you know, he's on the phone dealing with whatever's going on about how this isn't the mayor's position. And, in that conversation, Ashley just flashes him, and you see her from behind because she's like, she's got like a leg over each side of him, and she's like on her knees on the bed, and she's wearing like a big loose bat, like football jersey. Yeah, and as soon as she flashes him, he's like, "All right, I gotta go," and hangs up, and then he jumps out of bed to start getting undressed because he just saw tits, and now he's ready to go. And she's like, "Well, what do you want to do?" He's like, "Oh, I don't know," and he does this like somersault over the bed where he removes his pants in <laughs> like impressive. mid-rotation while flipping it is yeah, impressive. impressive super impressive it's just like I, it, listen i can't flip period i'm not built for that kind of thing you i think you could do the tumble yeah, come on it. jay that's not that hard let's see you try jay just do right it right now, now on camera <laughs> flip and take your pants off if you want downloads it's not gonna be you're not gonna profit on my death I was going to say, this episode's in memoriam of Jay. It's our last episode. <laughs> but he did it, like, no hands. Like, it wasn't like he put his hands on the bed to do the summer. Like, I could probably It's really that. impressive. He's very acrobatic. Yeah, he did, like, a full-on jump with his hands, like, pulling his pants off as he's doing it. So He almost goes too far. Like, he can't... He does the flip and then almost keeps going when he lands on his feet again. Well, that's why you don't do that game is because you can go right out a window. Like, bedrooms aren't that big. You know what I mean? You do a flip on the bed in the middle and you over-rotate. You're going out either into a wall or out the window. Yeah, in a New York apartment. (laughs) Yeah, you could be, like, five stories up. Imagine dying with your sweatpants at your ankle with a boner because you fell out of the window doing a somersault after seeing your girlfriend's boobs. It's a weird way to go. That's how I want to go. I mean, like, to be fair, the best way to go. I mean... (laughs) And, you know, he gets his pants off and now they're continuing to talk and she's going over all these different things they could do because, you know, well, what do you want to do? We could rent a movie. We could play Boggle. And, you know, he jumps up on top of her and they start making out. And then the phone rings and you hear the answering machine pick up and it's Paul and he's saying how, you know, things are going bad and got some questions. But, you know, they'll talk in the morning and they're going to have to get James involved. And then when it hangs up, she's like, what do you have to get James involved for? For what? And he goes, off the record, what's it like to be a gay man in the, ma- in the mayor's office? He's like, since when is he gay? He's like, since about uh, 5.15. And I'll say this. This was kind of one thing that kind of flagged me. It was a throwaway line, but just the fact that he had to say off the record. And you think, like, what's the dynamic of that relationship like? Because he has to always be aware that that's her job. 
And that's why it's conflict of interest. It Andrew is. Berg here, it's conflict of interest for it's sure. It super yeah. is. They seem to handle it. You know, like they, she does her job properly. He's saying the right things at the right times and is, is sure to say, you know, off the record. But like the, the idea that you would have to do that, like even in those moments, like you're in bed with your girlfriend and have to remember to say off the record. I don't know. I just would put a strain on it after a while. He, it might be off the record, but that points her in the direction as a journalist to go to see questions other places. I, totally, too. I get it's your like, point, Frank. I totally get your point. I'm just saying just the dynamic of what that does to your relationship in general to have to always have that in your brain means you can never fully relax. Even when you're mm. with your girlfriend alone, you can't totally unwind because you have to be aware of what you're saying at all times. I mean, his character can never really relax anyway. He's very high strung. That's true. But, like, either he should leave his job or she should go into a different style, like, a different sect of reporting. Like she's obviously a political reporter for New York. Like, maybe, like, take the crime beat or something, you know? Yeah. There's a, there's a nice little physical move, too, because the phone rings a second time, and that's when his head was in her shirt at the time. And he, like, pops his head out of her head hole. Like, He's so charismatic in this. It is wild. That's when they get the other call, and now it's Stuart this time, and... He's informing them that Sabatino turned down the newest offer and, you know, now they're going to get everyone together and they're heading to his house. <laughs> like, that's, we're all going to be there in three minutes. Like, what? You can't, like, why aren't they going to the office? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do love the line, though, where she's like, can we finish in three minutes? Because they're about to have sex. He just like, goes, I can. <laughs> so <laughs> fucking perfect. Yeah. I think everyone saw that line coming. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was like... <laughs> Are they going to try it? But we obviously know where the answer is, and, right? that was if it wasn't for this dialogue, I wouldn't realize that they were going to his house. I would have just assumed the office. But she's like, oh, great. Like, I have to be up at 6 o'clock. And he's like, well, why don't you just crash at your place tonight? And that's when we find out that she doesn't have one because her lease ran out a few weeks ago and she didn't renew it. And then he's like, so um, we live together? And I'm not just trying to pay, play, like, the male perspective in this. That's fucking weird. I'm yes. with you, Nick, 100%. She ends up winning this argument because of the way he reacts, but that is not cool. (laughs) Yeah, that should have been a conversation. Yeah. There's a point later that I'll address when we get to it where I turn and now I'm on her side. But at this point in time, his reaction uh, is justified because, okay, listen, her thing is, listen, I've been sleeping here every night for the last year and a half. Like, it doesn't make sense for me to have my place anymore. Totally agree. A year and a half every single night you're sleeping there. You're just wasting money at this point. But to just not tell him, like, that not even have the conversation. Also, apartments in New York are so expensive, so you're wasting a lot of money by not even using your apartment when you guys could just be splitting the rent in an apartment. Could have sublet it. And this is the point with that, too. I mean, they could have... The point is it's a two-person conversation. You know, you have to at least inform the other person what's going on here with this stuff. That's because she's the worst, just like an entourage. (laughs) But she's the best, like in Son-in-Law. Well, she's pointing out all the stuff in the house and she's like, look, like, look at that picture frame over there. And then he notices, like, wait a minute, those aren't my parents. It's like a picture of her parents that are on the dresser. It's her dresser. And then she's pointing and she's like, go outside. The couch is mine. It's my TV. Like, I've been I've been living here for a while. Like, you just don't seem to realize that it's not just all your stuff anymore. I hated this. Like, I absolutely hated this. Elaborate. How the fuck are you that stupid that you don't see your girlfriend moving her couch in, moving her dresser in? Because he's buried in his work. But that doesn't, that's not an excuse. You come back and you could be buried in your work. You're going to come back to your house and be like, oh, that couch is new. 
like it's a couch it's a dresser in your like shitty new york bedroom come it's on sh- he doesn't have a shitty new york bedroom by the way he is the deputy mayor his apartment is well we only nice. see the bedroom to be fair what gets me is the dog isn't even his and he doesn't realize that that is a fun like, joke too <laughs> yeah. yeah he's like not rex <laughs> <laughs> To play devil's advocate to Gordo here, though, we've all been in relationships before, right? And you're with somebody, and if if the girl is like, your couch is so uncomfortable, I'm just going to get a new couch. You wouldn't be like, no, I want the couch with the springs that stick out. You'd be like, okay, like if you want a better couch in here, we can do that. That makes sense. And then you just it just kind of gradually happens. You're not going to argue over a nicer couch coming into your house, are you? No, I feel like, you know, was she just taking stuff from her apartment and bringing it over? Or was she buying new stuff? So was this other apartment, like, just empty? I'm guessing it's new stuff because you wouldn't pay to get movers to bring your couch over there, right? Well, you got to realize she's her lease expired a few weeks ago, so she doesn't have anything at her old place anymore. So everything she owns has been moved in. She may have just moved all her stuff in three weeks ago or whatever when he was not he was at work and not paying attention. But again, you would know. You would know. It's stupid. Well, he's like, you do live here. Where do I live? And she's saying how like she can't believe that this is like a big deal, you know. They eat together, they sleep together, they vacation together. We're even each other's in case of emergency contacts. And he's like, oh, he's like, I can't breathe. You might want to notify yourself. <laughs> that was a great line. I love the like, actual joke jokes in this episode. That's a great one. And what she's saying makes a lot of sense. And but it still bothers me that like the conversation still needs to happen. She's angry that. He's not happy about it. And the fact that she doesn't realize she did something wrong makes me angry about it. And then I like that that scene button with her leaving the room and then he goes to turn the TV on. It's right in cue for the mayor to go, what are you, drunk? It's like those playing the clip on the news again. The timing, like the timing of everything in this episode, I think, is really well done. And then the next scene from there, we see Mike and the mayor and they're in the back of a car together being driven to wherever. Just kind of like going over everything and kind of doing like the, you know, the updates for the mayor and telling him what's going on. He's like, oh, sorry, just like, you know, essentially I got a lot going on. And the man's like, oh, that's okay, you can tell me about it. And he's telling him all about, like, the stuff going on with this girl. Because uh, the man said, like, oh, what was the, what did he say that he was? Bird dogging. Bird dogging, which is when you steal other people's girls, right? I think that's what that means. I have no idea what that means. Yeah, like the Everly Brothers song. Bird. Bird dog. <laughs> Yeah, that song from 1956 that you all know, right? <laughs> I'm just gonna see myself out. I'll see you guys. Is that how it goes? It's called Bird. Bird Dog. Well, there's two people singing their brothers and one Cat guy. Dog. <laughs> I'm basically doing the mono mix. So when Mike's trying to tell him like what's going on with his girlfriend, he's like, Yeah, the thing is, like Ashley Fields, and he just cuts him off right away. He's like, You know what you should do? Send her to the spa. I'll I'll forgive it in a hundred degree mud. And if that doesn't work, <laughs> name a street after her or a park. They love parks. Imagine having that much power where you're like, I'm yeah. sorry you're mad at me, but now, like, Rosa Parks Boulevard is now Jan Smith Road. Like, that's so fucking crazy. He is the deputy mayor, so he probably could get that done. Yes, but I'm not sure if all the people would like that all these weird streets are being renamed to just uh, random girls from the area. Like, everyone on these streets are being named after a 24-year-old woman. This seems like an odd move. And now, from there, we get to the next scene where... We're back in that press conference room, and Mike finds Ashley working in there. He says to her, like, oh, you've been avoiding me all morning, and, you know, I I think we need to talk. They're kind of going on over, like, you know, the situation again and talking about it, and 
He's like, I just don't see what the big problem is. Like, all we have to do is get your old place back. And that's when I flipped a little bit. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> now, I understand her approach was not good. And she should have talked to him. There should have been a conversation there. Now he's showing his cards that he doesn't want to live with her. Like, officially. That he's afraid of that kind of commitment. And now, because his brain is just like, well, just get your old place back. It's fine. We'll just move you back in there and everything's going to be good. And she's like, what are you talking about? It's a $900 a month. There's a sign of the times. $900 for a place in New York. Wild. And she's like, you know, I'm not even staying there. Like, it's just like a waste of money. And he's like, well, $900 for like, what do you say? Um, A safety net? Yeah, he called it a safety net. This is when I was, like I said, I kind of flipped a little bit because now you're telling her, like, I'm not completely committed to this relationship. I want to have like a backup plan in case things go wrong. Even though I don't like her approach and I'm totally, totally think that she handled everything wrong and sided with him for that argument. His follow-up was not good. I was never on his side, like, at all. No, man, you have to be. Team Michael, we stick together. (laughs) But he's a fox. Listen, I can understand, again, that initial conversation. You can't just move in somewhere and not tell the person that you're moving in. How do you not realize it at that point? You're mad at the semantics, Gordo, but she still moved in without his permission and didn't ask him, didn't have the conversation. You're mad that he didn't notice. That's why you're on her side is that he didn't notice. Because something that big, you can't tell me that you wouldn't notice. So you're admitting that it's big and she just did it without asking. I, I am. I am admitting that it's big. I never said that it wasn't. Moving in with someone is, of course, so then a big how can decision. you be on her side? My big issue here still is monetarily. Like, if you're going to move in with somebody out of nowhere and then you're like, well, I've just been living here for free for three months. Like, that's more of a problem to me. Those are New York real estate. And now she's not really happy with the way this conversation is going with all this talk of safety nets and stuff. And she's like, you know what? Maybe we should take a little time off. And that's when he's like, would you like to go to a spa? And she's saying, hey, you know what? We're still going to see each other all the time at work. And, you know, I just think for the foreseeable future, we'll just make the rest of our relationship platonic. He's like, oh, all right. Like, so like, you know, exactly what we have now, just without the sex. Like, I'm going to have to vote no on that. What screw that too because she still gets to live there and now they're not fucking fuck her. Yeah, she still lives there. She doesn't move out. Under that circumstance, I was under the impression she would move out, right? I don't think so. No, that wasn't what she was saying. But even if she does, it's not like she can move out right now. It's going to take a few days at least. There's only one bed in that apartment, right? That's a really weird scenario. Well, I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't. If she's in the process of moving out, like it's not like they're going to just fuck until. She's no, gone. but I'm saying it's still weird to sleep in the bed at that point. Oh, yeah. Well, good. She can go sleep on her couch. That's a good point as well. She could sneakily, you know, move large pieces of furniture around because she's fucking stealth woman. On Full House, <laughs> we, wa- we watch DJ move all of her stuff down to the basement without Jesse noticing, all right? So I believe it. Possible. I would just, I would like to say here too, though, I can clearly see the anger in Gordo's eyes and I can see his red light coming and he's going to cancel oh, this show over just the semantics of this apartment thing. And I, it's so funny to me. <laughs> I right. won't tip my hat. I was going to green light to prove we know, you wrong. We, we know the cues. We've been doing, <laughs> this is like, we, we've done over 120 episodes. We you do, do like to hang <laughs> on very silly shit for yeah, a cancel. This is just stupid. Oh, he this keeps is just going. Fucking stupid. All right, Joe, I'm going to go and I'm just going to hang out at your house for a couple of days. And then you know what I'm going to do, Joe? I'm going to put a fucking dresser in your room. And I hope you don't fucking realize it. We're not in a committed dating relationship, though. But how 
stupid of a motherfucker would you be if you did not notice that? I also work from home. It's different. Yeah, it, and it's, I think it's not that he didn't notice so much. It's just that, like, he's just not paying attention. Like, yeah, it's not, like, a big deal. Like, she probably said, oh, I'm going to bring my whatever. And he's like, hey, yeah, go ahead. And, like, he's just not realizing after X amount of time that it's the majority of her stuff is in the house. So dumb. She also knows how to manipulate him very well. She just flashes and does all this stuff. So. Yeah, she does show. She has the flash to him, and he just bends. So quite that's a probably look. what she does. It It's like the Men in Black thing where it erases your brain. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, the idea that she sh- she takes her top off and she just has two Tommy Lee Jones there. <laughs> this is my happy face. He's like, I don't know what happened. Put a dress wherever you want it. Get a dog. I don't give a shit. She, as they continue to talk, she's like, I just wanted an actual reaction from you. And all I got was like jokes. He's like, listen, we're just different. And then he's trying to explain like how different's good. And that there's like a nice balance. And she keeps him in check and that, you know, he keeps her from overthinking. And because I think that, that people who need people, the luckiest people in the world. Like he just, he's a lot. He doesn't know how to get out of this argument right now. But they do both say they love each other here. So like they do give they you do. the finality of getting that they do care about each other. But when he says all that stuff about how people need people, like he, she just walks out. She doesn't even respond. And he's like, see, we're different. I would have laughed at that. And then we cut to another scene that's um, Paul's talking to Mike in like that like office area again. He's saying, like, as per your request, I scheduled a press conference this afternoon at 5 to introduce everyone to the key member of our staff who also happens to be homosexual. But guess what, Mike? James here says that he's not gay. And then he's like, that's it, James. Ten bucks in the kitty. And he pulls out that big jar for telling Paul the truth. (laughs) That's a good call. I do love that he's stuck putting $10 in for saying that he's not going to do this stupid ruse. And I think Paul's thing, from what I gather from this conversation, it's like, Paul's on on the team with everyone, but he doesn't like being lied to. So he doesn't want to tell people false information, especially if he's led to believe it's true. He doesn't want like his own team betraying him all the time. They do the best thing you could ever do with uh, Paul here too, which is you get like the classic like Richard Kind yelling meltdown. He's like day night good evil. Like that's what you want Richard Kind there for is for him to do this sort of like fast yelling kind of losing it thing, and it's so hard not to laugh at. <laughs> and Mike's like he's like listen like Paul. Don't melt down on me. He's like, I need you. This is very emotional time. James being gay surprised all of us. James like, yeah, especially me. <laughs> I, I did like that. Paul's like, all right, I'm on board. Like, we're going to go through this charade of a press conference. We might as well go over a few, you know, potential talking points. And that's when James like, well, this isn't going to be like a big deal, right? Like, you know, it's not front page stuff. He's like, you might want to call your parents. I do love I that. I thought that line. was great. And that transitions over to Mike heading over to where, like, his secretary sits. And he's telling her, like, oh, can you uh, get Ashley on the phone for me? And, like, just kind of doing it in a way where, based on the fact that she's a reporter, not his girlfriend. And his uh, secretary, Janelle's like, this is getting ridiculous. You've tried 23 times. It's like, I don't care. I don't feel like an idiot. It's like, yeah, you're not the one making the phone calls. <laughs> and Janelle, I love this, right? So, and I have the notes to prove it. In my notes, when they're talking about the garbage strike, I have written down... When you think of garbage, think of Akeem from Coming to America, because when someone <laughs> says garbage, it's the first thing I think of. Janelle is one of the bathers in Coming to America, like the flower bearers and bathers. When James Earl Jones is like, I always assumed you had sex with your bathers. I do. Like that, She's one of those <laughs> girls. And I was so happy that there was a weird coincidental Coming to America scenario in my notes. Uh, Victoria Dillard is her name, and she can do no wrong. because she's recognize seen- the bathers <laughs> Coming to America. 
Just right? small role. I don't know if you've under, you can understand how many times I have seen Coming to America. I've seen it a lot too. I've never paid attention to the background. How do you guys feel about the sequel that they put on Amazon or whatever? I didn't watch it. I heard I watched things. it and I'm glad they did it when enough of the cast was still alive to make it work. Like we still had um Eddie Murphy. Uh, John Amos. We still had um Gordo, we still have Eddie Murphy now. You know that, right? Is Louis Anderson in the movie? Yes. That's what I can think of his name. Louis Anderson still lands before he passed away too. So like there's enough things where they throw back to people that you love from the first movie who are still alive. And John Amos is still alive. Thank the world. I don't like the world without that man in it. But we like Louis Anderson passed away like right after it. So I'm glad they did it then so there could still be enough of that connective tissue. But I mean it wasn't like it's like any of those movies where they make a sequel 30 years later. It's just what it yeah, is. Yeah, it was fine. It, I've seen way worse, you know, like way later it's on. It's better than sequels. Anchorman 2. Yeah. And then um like the one of the main kids in it is um Jermaine Fowler, who you guys would know from Superior Donuts, which we covered a while back. A great show that oh, should have okay. had more than one season. So anyways, to get back into the show, we cut to Stewart and he's standing under that television that um the mayor when we heard his initial uh flub, you know, that same TV. And we see this guy like addressing the press on it and uh Carter Haywood, he's a gay rights activist. He's like this um like bald, like black man, goatee. He's being very direct when he's talking to the press. And he's one of the main guys from Arliss. What is it? <laughs> Fergus laughing. I love it. Has, I'm assuming Fergus. Have you ever seen Arliss? I've no. seen Arliss on HBO. Yeah, Arliss was one of like the first like HBO. I think I'd call it a sitcom, comedy sitcoms. Robert Wool is a sports agent. No, Robert Wool from Batman. Check out Arliss. Arliss is a great show. It's very old. It's from the mid it's from around this time. So he has a very he's it's a very stern monologue that he's giving to the press here. And he's basically saying that they now plan to, if they don't see any significant changes as to how, you know, they handle the gay community, that he's gonna be making the mayor's life miserable for the next four years and then make sure that he's not there for four years after. He ends but saying and he ends by saying, what do you people have to say about that? And then you cut to Mike watching and he goes, what can I say? You're hired. He's like, I love this guy. Get him a desk. <laughs> I forgot this guy existed. Well, I don't get what infatuated him. This. Because he's like the perfect, because if he's on the other team now, like you bring him on board, you get like, oh, look, we brought in this. First, he's well-spoken. So you have this guy here who's going to be like now on, on your side of things and he's going to be a gay representative. Gay. Yeah. He's an activist who has a different point of view than the mayor, so it looks like they didn't just bring in, like, a yes man. Yeah, so in this point where, you know, the mayor's not looking good, you're bringing in this diversity where you have this gay black man who's, like, a strong, you know, um, well-spoken person who's going to be, like, on board to help make progressive changes for the city. I just wouldn't think he'd want someone who's going to challenge everything they do. I, I would think they'd want, like, no, you need that. The optics of it's good, though, right? Because it's somebody who's opposing because obviously uh, the mayor is not super friendly to the gay community, right? Also, every time we say gay community, I just think of AJ the gay Styles. gay community. <laughs> it's ruined forever. Gay community is <laughs> the best thing AJ Styles ever did. I, I get I get the reason why they hired a, a gay man. I don't get why they hired this specific gay man because... I think because they knew they could get him right away because he was somebody who was opposing the mayor right in front of them, right at crunch time. And he's like an important, like, seems like voice in the community where he's the guy who they're getting the sound bites from right after everything's going on. So he's probably well rega regarded within the community. So by bringing him on board and having his endorsement probably helps. Well regarded. 
It comes out once in a while. You know what would have been smart is if the beginning of the episode started with the what are you drunk quote, and then they hired this guy, and this was his first day, you know, like every other sitcom ever, and that way we could learn who every character is and what their fucking jobs are. I still don't know what anybody's job is there. And if it's that too, at the end, the last line would be him saying, what are you drunk? But seriously, to something else, right? Like, that's how you book it. Yeah. Yeah, and that happens. I mean, a lot of these ensemble casts. We mentioned Parks and Rec, and you know, I think of The Office, and it's tough. Like you meet the characters, but you don't know much about them yet, and that I think is okay if there's a coherent story going on. Like I, I would rather that than force everybody in the episode too much to try to introduce you to like ten characters and give you a full story arc for all yeah, of them. Yeah, no, and that, that ruins it. But at, at this point doing what we've do we do, I've seen so many shows do it right now. So yeah. when I see them do it like that, I'm just like, it's annoying. To me, this is like a slight misstep. Yeah, I looked at this as like I can be patient and learn about them as we go along, I guess. I would because they didn't I'm not half invested in a story. I just know I know that girl Nikki's a little promiscuous and I know there's the dumb girl and right. I know, you know, there's, um, you know, Stuart, who's kind of like, he wants Mike's job. And you got Paul, who's the one they kind of all mess around with. And James, the kind of innocent young one. Like, so I know basically who they are. I, don't, I might not know specifically what they do, but I get a vibe for who every character is, at least. We've talked about this before, though, and this is something that happens a lot now that didn't back then. I think it's just the nature of television and how things are viewed and like consumed, but... If they were to do this, and then the next episode also premiered the same night, so you did a two-episode premiere of the show, and then you had the second episode right after it give you more context on the characters, not waiting a week, I think it would solve that problem. I think it's the waiting a whole week back then in the world where you had to wait a whole week to watch something, and there's no way to look anything up. You just are watching it as it goes. Or if you just popped in on a, a summer night and that was a rerun, you were like, I heard the show was funny. You might be like, oh, there's two of them on. I can watch both of them. And then you might want to watch the second season. But they didn't really do that then. But now I feel like they do it a lot more often. Uh, I do like that after all that, James walks up and he's trying to tell Mike, like, hey, listen, man, you know, I would do anything for you. And when you asked me to be gay for you, I gave it a lot of thought. (laughs) And like, I want you to know how, like, honored I am that you chose me. And then he's just like, James, relax. Like, you're not gay anymore. (laughs) He just walks off. We cut to like later in the day and now we have this guy Carter in the office with Mike and it looks like they're going over. I assume the transcript of maybe everything that he had said earlier on television because he's like, oh, hostile and repressive. Like, that's good. Like, that's a good line. And they're kind of just going over all the things he said. And basically he's being offered, you know, this job and he's telling him what a great opportunity is and why sit here and bitch about this parade when you can make actual change and like do all these great things. And Mike's admitting, like, the mayor made a mistake. This is the way to handle it, is to join the team and fix things now. And right on cue, this is when the mayor happens to walk in the door. And he's like, oh, hey, guys, how are we doing here? And introduces him to um, Carter, and he's, like, you know, trying to get him on the team. And Carter says, oh, thanks for asking me to be part of this administration. I accept, and I promise you, as long as you're in office, I'm going to make <laughs> your life hell. It says, or I think he says, I'll be your worst nightmare. Yeah, your worst nightmare. And the mayor's like, is that good? He's like, uh, yeah, it's good. He's like, oh, splendid. Welcome aboard. He shakes his hand. I do love he has to look to Mike, though. I do like his, like, weirdness where he's like, that's good, right? This is like the Simpsons, like, frozen yogurt thing. Like, that's good. That's the thing, like, because throughout this episode, it's just like the mayor's character is just so, like, 
He's just the puppet who says the things that his team tells him to say. He's not like an independent thinker. Just a figurehead. Yeah. And now we cut to Mike back in the main office area, like later that day, and everyone's heading out. And Stuart walks up to him and tells him, like, oh, like, we're um, going to meet Carter and celebrate with a beer, like, you know, now that he's, like, on board with the team and asks if he wants to join. And he's like, no, nah, I can't tonight. And then Stuart walks up to Paul, or I'm sorry, Paul just at, talks to Stuart. He's in the area. And he's like, we're meeting at Hands, right? He's like, yeah. He's like, really? Because I went there the other night and none of you guys were there. Like, <laughs> That's so oh, mean. Imagine that. Yeah. They Cliff thing, Clavened like, him. I like I get they did Cliff Clavin him. <laughs> I get not liking Paul or being annoyed by Paul and things like that, but things like that to me are too mean. Agreed. Yes, and I say Cliff Clavin because they do that shit to Cliff on Cheers all the time, and it's like it's really mean. <laughs> There's a difference between not inviting someone somewhere when you all go out, which is still mean, but whatever. You're not forced to hang out with people you don't want to hang out with, but to like divert Lie, him and, and, and make them go alone, make him like get ready and like yeah, like get a cab and go to some bar and like be excited to see everyone. And like you walk in and it's just empty. Like, I don't know. As I get old, I get like more sentimental about things like that. I just picture him by himself. I ordered appetizers for the table. <laughs> so many potato skins. I always actually felt bad Probably for like mozzarella sticks for, uh, what's his name? David Keckner in waiting, not waiting. Um, yeah. Waiting. Yeah. Uh, they, the they they send him to the wrong party. They send him to just some redneck's house with a six Don't pack feel of bad beer. for him. He's a piece of shit in that movie. Yeah, but I still felt bad. He's trying to get with the underage girl. You're not supposed to feel That's bad. That's true. For him. Yeah, yeah. But so wasn't Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't fucking look up to him either. I am to assume, though, at least Ryan Reynolds is probably like younger solid... than David Keckner. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's way younger than David. No, true, but I'm saying yeah. like. I don't know how old he's supposed to be because I think that no, they like make 17. a lot of comments that he's too old and that because he even stops himself at the end. His whole thing in that movie is he's a rapist. The whole movie, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Oh, because this isn't the first girl. This is like like the fifth girl. Yeah, this is what he does. He's like a serial. I was about young to girler. defend him, and as I'm about to say things, I'm like, no, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> can't. Right. You can't defend yeah. that character in that movie. Another movie that wouldn't get made the same way now. So now, uh, during this Mike spots, Ashley and, you know, asks if he can talk to her for a second. And they're kind of walking over to the side area. And he's like, listen, we need to talk. And he's like, would it make any difference to you if I gave up my own apartment? And she's like, what good would that do? Like, neither of us would have a place. He's like, oh, well, I already subletted my apartment this afternoon. So um, was hoping for a different answer. This is also classic, like dumb guy thinking where yeah. you would go and make the giant big gesture and the then grand don't. gesture yeah yeah before there's like when jim buys the house in the office and then he realizes halfway through he's like oh i didn't consult my wife on this humongous purchase that she now has to deal with like it's just a dumb thing that people do you know it was the demise of jim the start of it it's that clown painting it takes him down in this case mike's um his intention's right because he was what he tells her is like, listen, if we're going to do this, we need to do this right. And like, I figured if I got rid of my apartment, we can go in this together with a fresh start. Like, so I guess the thought would be like, if we're going to live together, we should start with a place that's ours together. Not yeah, my it's place. Not, it's not her living in his apartment. Right. It's them living in their apartment. It's nice on paper. <laughs> yes. And he tells her like, you know, I really want us to live together. As he goes, no nets. He's like, I live for danger. And then. The two start kissing, and then I like um, 
<laughs> when the mayor walks, he goes, oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Oh, also, like, they're just, like, kind of gently kissing, too. It's like he walked in and they were on the yeah. table yeah. or anything. No, like, nothing he, crazy. His reaction is so funny because of what he's reacting to. And um, the mayor asks if he could talk to Mike for a minute. So Mike has to walk off. And before he does, he he looks over and asks him, he goes, oh, like, like, just one more thing. Like, promise to tell me if we get married. It's that, like, I, I kind of like that idea of it's a joke. Goodbye. And she, she's good with it. But also that, like, you know, like, he still thinks he's right in a way. Like, so he's not going to, like, he is right. Drop it. He is not in that particular part. <laughs> yeah. He is right in that particular part. And then uh, as he walks off, we see this, like, new scene where Mike and the mayor are walking down the hallway together. And then just kind of going back and forth about, like, everything that's happening with the strike. And Mike's telling him, like, oh, I'm going to call this person one more time and try to put in a new offer. And this is when, like, the mayor kind of flips. Like, this is when he doesn't seem as dumb as he has the rest of the episode. He seems, like, culturally aware of what he's doing. Yeah, now all of a sudden he's, like, a normal person who's, like, the guy who should be in charge. But he's telling him, like, Mike, it's a strike. Like, there's no quick fix. Like, get your rest. Like, the city's not going to fall apart just because he took a night off. He's like, well, he's like, it probably will, but, like, whatever. And I just felt like it was it was really weird to see him... No, see, here's why I don't think it's weird. I don't think it's weird because you don't get elected the mayor of New York City if you're, I mean, really that stupid. You know what I mean? Like, this is to kind of show you that he does have, there's a reason he's there. I I disagree. I think you're reading it wrong. I think that he doesn't realize how much everyone there does, and he thinks the city runs itself with him there. No, because I think, like, just the way that he interpreted the strike and saying, like, hey, like, like, listen, there's no quick fix here. Like, these are how these things go. He understands the politics behind He it, understands like. what's going on around him more so than I think we were led to believe before when he just seems like just a robot just kind of saying whatever he's told. No, but I think strikes in the past would have gotten solved by Mike. And he doesn't realize that, like, these things are fast because of all the stuff they the do. The deputy mayor has never gonna, is never going to be the one to solve a massive strike. You know, like I don't know. That. It seems like Mike is so involved. He might. I kind of I'm kind of 50 50 on both of your cases. I think it both goes there a little bit. This all seems very much like a silent Bob scenario, too. Right. Where it's like this guy seems bumbling. And then once a movie, he says the one really like profound thing. Yeah. And that's something like you yeah. know, I brought up the office earlier. That's like something they consciously started doing with Michael after a while where they, they were like, OK, well, if he's going to be an idiot, we have to prove that he at least knows how to do his job. And then this, basically the conclusion of like this conversation is just them wrapping up and. The mayor's heading off to some fundraiser and it's like for the Jewish community center. And like, he's putting like the yarmulke on like and getting ready to head off. And he's like, well, Shalom, sir. And he's like, Lahaya, Mike. And they sing Havana just like, so that's where he seems like culturally like aware of what's going strange, on. Strange, strange ending. Yeah. It's a little weird, but it, it was just basically the like audience doing... sure liked it. They hit play that Jewish music. All of a sudden they all started cracking up. Like, that's a fun song. It gets you pumping, Havanagilla. It's the duties the duties of being the mayor, you know, having like those tasks and these charity events that you're going to constantly. I will say that right though, the very end of this isn't that. He walks away and there's a janitor and he goes, Good night, Skippy. And I looked everywhere to find who is Skippy? Who is this actor? Is this a recurring thing? Nothing. I spent like 40 minutes trying to find Skippy information and nothing. So if anybody out there knows anything more about Skippy, please let me know because he's not on IMDb. He's not in the wiki. He's not like the Spin City Wikia. He's not on any articles I could find on like TV Guide anywhere. Maybe his name's not really Skippy and uh, Michael J. Fox is just a dick and didn't learn the janitor's name. That's very possible. But you would assume, though, that he would be listed as like Greg Skippy White. 
as like the character name or something. Yeah, he could be just an uncredited. Sometimes it's people who are like on the production side of things that they kind of like will throw a line in. Yeah, don't forget we just watched a show with John Goodman uncredited in it. Yeah, so I mean, true, right. I wanted to bring that up and I couldn't think of John Goodman's name. <laughs> <laughs> like little small part actor didn't do much. Yeah, who is that guy? But yeah, that was the conclusion of the episode. Um, again, I don't have a lot of other things to mention about the show. The, uh, there was one tidbit that I had read that the concept of the show started after the writers and had seen Michael J. Fox in The American President, and he was, like, playing one of the oh, president's political um, guys, and they wanted him in, like, a similar role. That was kind of, like, kind of the early seeds to get the show in motion. Been better if they watched him in The Frighteners. As we break The Frighteners because I'm so <laughs> often. I love that. I will say, though, I'm trying to, think, trying to think, are there any Michael J. Fox duds? I don't think he was ever in a bad movie. I don't think so. I'd have to Google it. Like from class of 1984 up through Every, everybody's got stinkers except for Tom Hanks. Everything he touches is gold. That's the thing is he has so many hits, but you don't realize like he's been in a billion movies. So, well, interact with us out there if you have a Michael J. Fox movie you think he's terrible, and I'd like to know. He's terrible, or the movie's terrible? Because that's a different like that's a different thing. The movie's terrible. He's good. He can be good or bad, but Michael J. Fox in a bad movie. I'd like to know if people have like one that jumps out to them. I'm saying, of just looking really quick on IMDb, I'm, uh, the rating for Stuart Little 3 is not great. Stuart Little 3, Call of the Wild, he gets a low rating. Animation does not count. Okay. Homeward Bound 2. <laughs> Did you know he was in an episode of Clone High playing Gandhi's remaining kidney? <laughs> so the other creator, the other creator of this show is the creator of Clone High. That makes sense, then. I don't love you, hoes. Why do we bring up Clone <laughs> High so often also? This show is the weird... This episode is like the weird connective tissue to so many things we bring up all the time. Well, I've said before, too, it's always interesting when, you, when we dissect these shows and we look at the creators and then the actors and producers, and you see, like, who... Those links between, oh, they work together here, so this makes sense why he used him as a director for this show or why these writers are on board or why this actor is in this and... You know, it's like anything else. You bring your people in. So it's kind of fun when you backtrack and you find where, like, all those connections started. Oh, I forgot he was on Scrubs. He was the, the doctor that was afraid to poop. Yes. <laughs> so the other creator, Bill Lawrence, he created also Scrubs, Clone High, and um, uh, something else we did. Oh, Ted Lasso. He's the creator of Ted Lasso as well. I get oh. a stinker. He was in the Disney movie Atlantis, The Lost Empire. It's, like, known as one of, like, Disney's worst movies. Hmm. Weird. I'll have to all watch. Right. I, mean, I, I didn't even know that, that was but... a thing. Yeah, I don't apologies know if one. I missed you guys discuss it. Uh, but did you talk about the filming location? No, no, it's no. actually New York City. It, while Michael J. Fox is on the show, when Charlie Sheen took over, uh, they went to L.A. But I don't know. There's something nice about knowing that, like, outside the windows of this studio is actually New York City, where they're supposed to be. Like, it just because uh, I would have just assumed this was a, a Los Angeles studio show somewhere. But the fact that they're actually in New York City was is kind of interesting. I wonder why. If you think of a show like Night Court, that's a show I want to actually be in New York City because it's the gritty nighttime court. Right. Downtown yeah. Manhattan, you know. But you know they never leave the building, so it's clearly just on some lot at like Universal Studios oh, yeah. or whatever. So yeah, so um I think we pretty much covered this in good uh good amount of depth. So only thing left is to greenlight or cancel. And again, to all of you guys listening. Uh, we like to rate this based on just this first episode. 
which is something that I say to all of you who might be new to us and Joe all the time, who constantly votes on nostalgia and not just the episode alone. In any event, I'm going to go in the order I see you guys in. Gordo, you're first. Do it. Cancel. Yep. Just okay. fucking say it. Just do it. All because how of a fucking bureau. Because of a bureau, he's canceling She's it. not a good girlfriend. Who puts a couch in their house? <laughs> I really thought he was going to be stubborn and give it the green light now to try to prove you wrong. <laughs> just to fuck with us? You guys missed one other very, very important thing. How fucking big was that suit on Michael J. Fox? He looked oh. like he was wearing a fucking zoot it's suit. It's the mid nineties, dude. It was 1996. It did not look good, but that's he's what also was like wearing. four three. It's tough to get suits that fit him. You know that problem. Get a tailor. What? This is also not a good reason to cancel the <laughs> yeah. show. I'm like, canceling because his find suit something looks bad. of substance from this show to cancel on. Don't cancel on because a, a suit is too big. <laughs> God, you, your fucking silly cancels are starting to agitate me. Listen, you know, we all get a vote. Like I said, for every time Gordo cancels the show for no reason, Joe Green likes the show for no reason, so there's probably some balance there. Well, go ahead, bud. It's just stupid. Go ahead. Sorry, this is probably the most uh, interrupted uh, segment we've ever done Enlighten for someone to cancel. Yeah. I actually did not like the episode at all. There wasn't a lot of jokes that really, really got me. Couple that with the stupid fight in the middle that didn't really even need to be there. Like, the the, the whole chasing just didn't need to be there. They could have just showed one and be done with it. I just didn't... It wasn't bad. Like, it wasn't, like, a terrible show. I just don't want to see another episode. And that's pretty much what we base our picks on, is, like, do I want to continue watching to episode two not really i got what i wanted it was what it was it was okay but not enough to make me keep watching and his stupid suit cancel ferg i don't hate this show but i don't like it either i wasn't super entertained or anything it had a lot of problems i was really annoyed with the the girlfriend moving in without him noticing (laughs) but um not in the way he was i was just i thought that she was wrong I also thought this had too many plots. It had an A plot, a B plot, a C plot. They should have picked one in the intro. Like in the, in the pilot episode, have one plot and introduce everyone. You don't have to have the strike, the mayor saying something against the gay community, them, them having uh, relationship problems. It's just too much for a 22-minute pilot. I would have liked to got to know each character. And they don't all have to like be introduced, but... I basically only knew Michael J. Fox, the mayor, and the girlfriend. That kind of bothered me. It had jokes that made me laugh, so like I said, I don't hate it, but I'm going to cancel it, but it's like on the line. And I do remember liking this show as a whole, so it's not on the whole show. It's just I didn't la- enjoy this pilot. All right, and Joe? Yeah, I really enjoyed this. This is one of those shows that I sometimes get so mad about, we talk about, we're like, how is this show with this many people in it not just streaming somewhere? Whoever owns the rights to this needs to put it on a streamer. It's a show that went on for six years, from the 90s into the 2000s. Also, is there a 9-11 episode of Spin City? Because he's the mayor, and this show goes into 2002, and that feels like it's a weird thing you can't just ignore maybe so for that alone on me being like well now my interest is peaked 
But I love the jokes in this. They pay things off a lot. They button things well. Michael J. Fox is super funny. Richard Kind is never not funny. I love Alan Ruck, even though Gordo doesn't know who he is. And there's a cast member from Coming to America in it. I want to watch episode two. I just don't know how to without going on eBay to buy like the 47 disc set that will probably be scratched from some idiot who lists it wrong. So I hope it shows up somewhere. And I hope there's an 9-11 episode. And this is a green light for me. Nick. Just looking it up while you were talking about it, Joe, I don't see anything glaring about a 9-11 episode for this, so they might have just gleamed over it. But, yeah, this is a green light. It's an all-star cast, and it's not even like an all-star cast, like, looking back. It's an all-star cast, like, at the time, too. It's so lighthearted. Uh, it's political, so I could see where m- some people might not love that aspect, especially us, like we discussed when we were younger. But now that I'm older, I definitely find myself enjoying it more. I'm... Super excited to see where else this goes. I don't remember necessarily much of this part of the show, like the early seasons. So I would love to keep watching, even though that's going to be difficult, it seems. Um, So it's definitely a a green light for me. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, trying to remove the nostalgia from it, too, because I did get a lot of that. Yeah, just this first episode. I do agree they didn't do a great job of introing the characters. I feel like they could have done a better job if I'm going to nitpick at all. You don't really get an idea of who does what and why. But aside from that, I really enjoyed it, and I'm excited to see more of it. So it's a green light. Yeah, so um, for me, it's a green light as well. I had a lot of fun watching this one. Initially, I was, like I said, I had some concerns about introducing too many characters and stuff like that. But I'm okay with not with introducing them but not giving you too much. It's just... I felt like the problem with other shows, and you know, we mentioned news radio, it's like I think they tried fully explaining too many characters at once, which is what makes it complicated. And they were like rapid fire tossing everybody at you. And I don't know, maybe it was just the way this one hit me versus that one, but I enjoyed the story. I think Michael J. Fox was great in this. There's a lot of great supporting characters in it. Yeah, nothing too complicated. A little different. Uh, we see a lot more kind of camera in motion stuff. And I don't know, it's just a fun show. And I think that comparison to Parks and Rec is fair especially considering like the times were different when this one came out versus that one, you could kind of see like maybe if spin city came out 10 years later, it would, it would feel and look different and maybe be more like that show. Uh, Sam's the documentary part. So, um, yeah, uh, green light for me. So with that being said, congratulations to spin city. Uh, you do live on to see another day. And I want to thank all of you guys for listening. Go to S one E one pod.com. That's where you can find all the links to where you can listen to us. Where you can talk to us on Instagram and x uh s1 e1 pod we love talking to you guys like i said right now a little bit of uh technical difficulties on the instagram messenger but um we do have someone to fergal get to you uh hopefully we're all back on board with that real soon yeah thank you guys so much for listening and keep on with us we'll catch you again with another new episode next week so until then thank you goodbye i think we got the best skippy sit ubu sit